Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the last day of our conference. Kind of flew by, didn't it? Just uh, a great conference, and we're very appreciative for all of you who've been participating, for all the missionaries who have joined with us. Special welcome to all of you, certainly, and especially to those who may be visiting with us. So if you're visiting with us today, maybe this is your first time or your first time in a very long time, if you would just raise your hand, and Dr. I will get to you a packet of information about the church. There's a little card we'd like for you to fill out, and then if you'd put that in the offering plate later, then we can acknowledge your visit by letter. So if you would just raise your hand, he'll see you, he'll get that information to you. I'd like to ask if all of the missionaries present, will you stand so that we can welcome you in a special way? Just for the record, Pete Ware was standing even though he was moving down the aisle. I'd like to uh, mention a couple of things before we uh, begin the service with prayer. First of all, be sure to be praying for our students' missions conference, Project GO. That's for middle schoolers and high schoolers students here on Saturday, March 21st. We do need some help for that day. So if you want to know how you can help, just contact Pastor Rich. There'll be some very tangible things that could be done, practical things that could be done that day to help out. And if you let him know, he'll let, he'll, he'll let you know what that is. We have an Alden Union Church missionary history document that's available, one per family. There's still copies in the back. It contains a list of our current missionary family, their email addresses, written history of Alden Union Church missions, a list of all the missionaries that Alden Union Church has ever supported. So if you want to get a hold of that, it's in the back there. Use that as a way to communicate encouragement to the missionaries and to be praying for them and simply to increase our knowledge of what God has done. There are a couple of inserts in the bulletin today that I'd like to call your attention to. One of them is the high school summer missions team. You can see the pictures of all of those who will be going to place a promise later on in the year. There is a request there for prayer support and financial support, and some of that will be documented for you. Also, there is a bracelet that you can get at the information center in the back, a little bracelet that will remind you to be praying for those who will be going to Place of Promise. It simply says, High School Missions Trip, Place of Promise 2015. So the reminder will be with you. Be praying for these individuals. Uh, I'd encourage you to put this in some place that's very, very prominent, some place that you see a whole lot. What could be better than the refrigerator? Um, we also have a, a second insert, the community Easter egg hunt that everyone can participate in and help with that. So let me encourage you to do that as well. We have a visitor's new members class starting next Sunday. You can check out all you need to know in the bulletin corner on the back of the bulletin about that. If you're interested in knowing more about the church with the possibility of even joining, then the information is there for you. Next Sunday night, we'll be having a baptism. So if you're interested in that, let me know, and uh, we'll, we'll get you on board with that. Please read the bulletin. There are all sorts of things that are very helpful. There's some things for seniors, retirees. Um, men, a, a whole lot of things that are coming up, and we simply can't go over all of them at this time. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for granting to us the opportunity to bring praise to your name. You're mighty to save, and we'll be singing about that in just a moment. Thank you that we're able to rehearse what you're doing around the world. 
Thank you for bringing to us today Kyle Robinson and Dan Rabe and Larry Filbert who are going to be sharing with us in prayer and sharing with us in the highlights of what you're doing around the world. Thank you for Howard Brandt. Thank you for the message that you've put on his heart for us. And thank you for SIM and Pioneers and New Tribes Ministries and Hand Evangelism and the ministries that we'll see uh, briefly from some of those individuals this morning. But thank you that we have all of these special guests from the mission field all over the world who are with us. But thank you that there's no one more special than you yourself present here with us and within those who are believers. So we give you thanks for that. And we ask that you would help us to honor your great name and help us to recognize the Lord Jesus Christ for a world in crisis. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Missions comes down to telling people that they can have salvation in Christ. And one of the strongest motivations for us to do that, I think, is the awareness of the great gift that we've received in salvation. When we see that God has saved us and what a wonderful thing that is, uh, we want other people to be able to share in that same joy, the same freedom, the same release. And so would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song which both talks about our salvation, our forgiveness, and about our desire and need to go tell others.
someone around you and tell them how glad you are the Lord saved you. Right. My name is Kyle Robinson. Thank you for having me. Um, Pastor Paul mentioned HVMI, Handy Evangelism, and that's who the mission organization that I am with. Um, just to tell you a little bit about that and to answer a couple of questions um, that have been presented to me. Um, we are located in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Our home base is Ephrata. Um, and we exist to share the compassion of Christ with people who are facing life's challenges and equip others to do the same. So, um, how do you see your world in crisis? The world of HVMI that we are exposed to every day is a world of hurt and pain and grief. Um, God didn't intend for the world to be this way. He created a perfect world and we ruined it. <laughs> um, so now we're dealing with that. Um, so that's the crisis that we see in the world also. Those hurts and those pains and those griefs are hard to handle for us if we don't know how to do that. So we um, 
see a deficiency in the way we and the way churches um, minister to people who are having those hurts and those pains. Um, so what are we doing to point these people that are in crisis to Christ? Um, we serve people who are having these um, issues, people who are hurting and grieving and in pain and who have disabilities in a variety of ways. We have support groups and Bible clubs and studies and a summer camping program, as well as we provide training to churches and individuals who would like to know how to minister to these people um, even better and how to show Christ to them and show Christ's love to them. We just finished up our training seminar in South Jersey this, this weekend. We offered five different sessions on a whole variety of um, different things. One, training people how to minister to people with mental illness, training people how to minister to people who have been abused, um, and a whole variety of other topics. Um, so the question is, what do we do to point a world in crisis to Christ? And that is just what our mission statement is. Um, we exist to share the compassion and the love of Jesus Christ by walking alongside individuals facing life's challenges and equipping others to do the same. So thank you very much. We've been uh, using as our theme course, Let Your Kingdom Come. Would you stand? And uh, one of the ways we do that until the Lord returns is to try to spread the gospel and spread love, as he talked about, sharing those things that um, help people understand what God is like and bring a bit of his love and compassion into their lives. So sing with us.
An incredible thing that the holy God of the universe would invite us into his presence. Us sinners saved by grace. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father and our Sovereign Lord, we come before you this morning amazed that you would encourage us, that you yearn for us to come with our petitions in time of need. And we want to tell you thank you this morning that you've given us this tremendous privilege to come and to speak with you. We worship you this morning. We tell you that we love you. And we come as a church this morning on behalf of a world that is in crisis. Father, we pray for so many around us and around the world that have suffered tragic loss, who have been terribly hurt and many lives destroyed. We pray for those who are in bondage today and they don't even know it in bondage to the enemy of our souls, the one who is working actively against your purposes and thinks nothing of destroying humanity. Heavenly Father, we know it's a result of sin, and yet, Lord, we know that you are a God who, despite that, continues to pursue man whose heart is broken and feels the pain of your creation. And so, Father, we pray that these would know your grace, that they would know your healing touch, that they would be drawn to yourself. And we come on behalf of your servants who are serving around the world, seeking to be your representation, the demonstration of Jesus Christ himself, 
We pray for each one of them. We pray that you would be protecting your servants in difficult situations, sometimes in dangerous situations. We pray that you will provide for their every need financially, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We pray, Father, that you will help them to be able to identify with the world in which you've placed them. Help them to be relevant in their context, to be able to identify with the crises around them so that they can, in a way that makes sense to the people who are hurting, whose trusts have been broken, may they see Christ living through your servants. And so we pray that as a church, we will be pursuing your purposes, that we will be your reflection in this world of crisis. The greatest crisis of all is people separated from you. And we pray that you will use us to draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Good morning. My name's Larry Filbert. My wife Lula is sitting here with me. Uh, we serve with Pioneers. We served in Indonesia for 17 years, and we've been back here in the United States for the last 11 years. Our world is in crisis. We don't need to go too far. Look in the newspapers, watch the television. We see that many parts of the world overseas in the Middle East and Asia and Africa, North Africa, are in incredible crisis today. Uh, that crisis has brought, in some ways, tremendous opportunity for us as believers here today. Uh, I think Paul said it well in Acts 7, 17, and I want to just read two verses. When he was speaking to the Athenians, he said, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. The crisis in many parts of the world over the last 20 years really has brought tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Muslims from countries that traditionally our mission, Pioneers, is trying to get into. Places like Saudi Arabia, places like Iraq, places like Somalia, uh, Syria, and many places in the Middle East and North Africa. And today, tens of thousands of people are fleeing many of those countries and are ending up as refugees or immigrants or in some cases even international students studying here in our lands. Uh, many Americans and especially many believers are not even aware of how many people have come here to our own country. So what is a crisis in one sense is a tremendous opportunity for us as believers today in America where we have incredible access to these very people where it's very difficult to get into their lands. And so our organization is decided that not only do we go and seek to continue to go around the world and reach unreached peoples where they are and share the love of Christ with them, something that we've all learned and experienced and continue to experience on a day-to-day -day basis, but we're trying now to start ministries at various locations around the United States where there are significant, in fact, huge numbers of people from these very countries residing in our country for one reason or another, uh, like I said, either as students, uh, many as refugees, and many more as immigrants that have come here to our homeland. Tremendous opportunity for us. Uh, that's what we're about. We've already got about six ministries uh, there in the country. My role right now is overseeing those ministries in the United States, helping start new ministries, uh, recruiting people to not only serve overseas, but to serve right here in our own land in many of our larger cities uh, where many of these people have come. Uh, wish you would continue to pray for us as we do that, and uh, I thank you again for the opportunity to be here with you this morning. Everyone in the world is a worshiper. That's the way God made us. And uh, the problem is we choose the wrong things to worship, whether it's Americans, 
who choose success and careers and self or some false religion or those around the world who select some other type of belief as the basis for their worship. We have been singing a song called Mission's Flame, which talks about worship as being one of the core things that's happening um, in the lives of people who are changed by the gospel. So would you stand with me and reflect and sing on how we're really trying to make worshipers of God. He deserves that. He created us to do that out of those who have lost that vision, lost a vision of Him, and have turned to their own ways. We'll sing your praise. You 
one of you this morning, and I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. What a, what a wonderful opportunity. I, I love missions conferences. I love to be at times like this. My name is Howard Brandt. Um, I should probably tell you that I'm, what, probably the fourth generation of missionaries. My great-great-grandfather was the first one in our tribe to accept Christ in England many, many years ago. He had 15 children. And uh, so when he accepted the Lord, he wanted to be a missionary. He said, Lord, I can't be a missionary. I've got too many children. I can't go overseas. But would you take one of my children and make him a missionary? And my grandpa uh, came from England and ministered to the Native Americans in this country. My father was a missionary. He worked in Ethiopia, and I grew up there since a little boy of two years old. I've been a missionary. Out of my family, I have three children, and two of them are missionaries. One of them today is serving in Germany uh, with a mission there. Another one is in the country of Jordan, which many of you read about in the news. And so here we are, and we're thanking God for missions. What a wonderful thing to be able to take the gospel around the world and to be with you, a congregation. I tell you, it's, it's an honor to walk down the halls of this church. I walked down your hall there, and I saw those pictures of all those people that you folks have invested in over the years and the expansion of God's kingdom around the world through you. What an honor. And it's just a terrific honor for my wife and I to be with you this morning and to share with you in sharing some of the things that God has done around the world. Now, I got a very unusual request when I came to this church, which is very unusual for me. I've been uh, preaching the gospel since I was... 22 years old, I had my own church, and through all these years now of serving the Lord, and my my mandate for this morning was don't preach. How about that? That was don't preach. Tell stories. So, <laughs> so that's what I'd like to do this morning. But let me start uh, first of all by introducing what I would like to say, just by reminding us of the of the call uh, of God to Paul the apostle. It was very interesting when Paul was called. Remember that Ananias was there and. Um, he was afraid of Paul, but these are the words that the Lord spoke to Ananias in Acts chapter 9. He says, go. He said, I don't want to go to this guy. This guy kills Christians. He says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, and I will show him how much you suffer for my sake. And it's that little phrase there that he preached before kings. And you know, in that time in, in history, in world history, the kings, of course, were the Romans. 
And this was probably the most dangerous spot in the whole world for Paul to go to. You want to talk about a, a world in crisis? You want to talk about a dangerous place to preach the gospel? Well, how about, you know, it'd be sort of like, uh, I'm calling you and you're going to preach the gospel to Baghdadi, Baghdadi, who is the head of ISIS. You know, that, 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 that's the way it would, that's the way it would come across. And this is your job. You got to go preach the gospel to these guys and talk about a world in crisis. And yet the gospel is really God's answer to a world in crisis. It really is. I, I just can't help but think, I mean, even in Paul's life, you think of what he actually did. Uh, this man, uh, he wrote in the book of Romans that he had preached the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Well, that's up in Albania right now. And when you think about that, 1,500 miles of territory that he covered with the gospel, and he started there in the religious capital of the world, which was Jerusalem. He took the gospel into the cultural capital of the world, which was Athens and the Greek culture. And he says, I've got to get to the Romans, and I want to preach right before the king, right before Nero, as he did. And of course, we know from history that he did. We don't know what he preached, but we're sure that he preached the gospel. And the gospel, as Paul says in Romans, and I, and I love this, the gospel is God's power. The gospel is God's power. Let me just read this to you. It says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, and I am ready to, I'm eager to preach the gospel unto those of you who are in Rome. I'm eager. And I could just see, I, 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 I kind of know the feeling. I want to go to these last places on earth. I want to go to these places where, where the gospel has not been. I want to, I want to be the first one to tell somebody about Jesus. And I must share with you that that, that has been really my passion uh, throughout my life. I remember when I was a little boy, the Lord uh, gave me a, a scripture that I loved and have always held in my heart. And the scripture is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, and you know this verse. But it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And uh, from a little child, I just had this idea that, that God would do something special. And I've always believed that as we align our lives with the purposes of God, God's going to do things in our lives that are way beyond our wildest dreams. And that has certainly been our testimony as we share with you. My wife and I went as missionaries uh, from from here in the U.S. We, we were college students out in Seattle Pacific College in Seattle. And we got on an airplane and we very soon found ourselves in Ethiopia. Now, I'm pretty sure you know where that is, Ethiopia. It's right across from Saudi Arabia. And it's a country where the gospel has come into the country recently and a lot of people have accepted Christ. But we were looking to take the gospel to some place where the gospel had never been heard. We wanted to be the first one to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus. And so our first assignment was in a little Bible school. And we used to send out our students and they'd go out every Thursday and they'd go out and witness. And one day, two of these Bible school students came back and they said to me, sir, there's a, there's a big ethnic group of people that live just to the south of us and they're called the Gurage. Now, the way you can remember these people is like, when you wake up in the morning, how do you feel? Guragi, right? So can you say that with me? Guragi. You got it? Okay, well, that, you're pretty close. Guragi is the name of these people. And at that time, there were about 750,000 of these people. Today, there's about 2 million of them. And uh, that was, of course, 44 years ago that we first went to these people. And so we began to investigate and find out what we could about these people. We found out that they lived up in the mountains behind us. And as we as we began to study them, we could see that there was a 
a large pocket of them that were Muslims. There was a large pocket of them which followed the Ethiopian Orthodox religion, although they had no idea what they really believed. And most of them had an underlay of occultism, just animism underneath the whole thing. And I remember my first trip up there, going up there to Guragi country to see what it was all about. And when I went up there to this area, I, I had, I didn't know anybody. There was not a one, not one Christian, nobody there to know. And so I went up to prepare to spend the night and to sort of camp out. And, um, I went to a place where there was a big field. Uh, this field actually became the place where the people there built a hut for us and we, we lived there with them for three or four years at that time. And I remember that night, I'll never forget it. It was cold, 9,400 feet. And uh, you're up in the, up in the mountains up there. And uh, it was cold. There's no electric lights. Uh, there were no lights for probably a hundred miles away from, from where I was. And, um, I didn't have a tent, but what I did have is I had a couple two by fours and I put them up together and then I took two sheets of tin and I kind of put them up because of the dew that would come down in the night. And it was so cold. I remember cooking my, my supper. I had a little, I had one of these little primuses. You don't know what they are, but a little primus, a little stove that works on kerosene. And I made my supper and it was so cold. I took a couple rocks. And I made them warm and I, and I threw them down inside my sleeping bag to get my bag warm. <clears throat> and then I crawled in. But here it was, pitch black, absolutely. Because when I saw this man, my heart just sort of went out to him. And, and I, and I just thought, sir, how, how incredibly much God loves you. And so I told him that. I said, sir, we've never met before, but I just want you to tell you that God loves you so very, very much. And he looked at me and says, how do you know me? I said, I don't know you. He said, well, let me tell you what has happened. He said, my two sons go to this little school that you have started here, and they come home every night, and I sit down with them, and I ask them, what did they teach you today? So he said, they've been telling me about this Jesus that you've been teaching about. And he said, I've been thinking about it, and I would like to follow this Jesus that you're teaching about. I never preached to this guy. I never said anything to him. He just came right there, and the Lord led him to himself. And this man, Adwasi Nurga, became one of the powerful instruments of God in that area. And he became one that led me to many, many places. We had a motorcycle during those years, and I would take this motorcycle and I would go everywhere I could possibly go. And the roads sometimes were incredible, uh, mud, hills, everything. But we would go and we would share the gospel over rivers, up mountains, wherever we could possibly go and share it about the Lord Jesus. And every once in a while, people would believe. Well, you know, we face some very, very strong obstacles in that area. Um, I'm not sure all of you will relate well to what I'm going to tell you right now, but the occult was powerful in that area, just powerful. And um, evil spirits, I'll tell you, it was something that I was not prepared for, frankly. I, I didn't know how to use They didn't teach me this in seminary. I hadn't had any experience with it in, in school. Yeah, but But the power of evil was just obvious everywhere. Wherever you went, there were symbols of the occult as they, as they worshiped. You go down the road, you'd see a pile of sticks there on the road, and there'd be a, a, another stick there with a charcoal, piece of charcoal stick above it. And this was, this was to keep you, anybody from stealing that wood. And this is our God here. You'd walk inside a, a house, and you look up inside the, just a, as you go in the door, and there would be, there would be bones of animals that they had hung just up there. And these again were some of, you go back in the interior of the house, and there they always had a little place where they kept all their things which they worshiped their idols. And it was really something. They had a, they had a strong women's cult in this area. 
And this was really strange to us. We had no idea these kind of things go on. But as a girl, uh, reaching about the age of puberty, would, would be going to market one day, she'd be knocked down flat, just bang, just fall, fall on the ground, just like that. And she'd be stiff as a board. And they would pick these young girls up and they would carry them off into the home of this man who was like their shaman or what would you call him, witch doctor. He was the leader of this particular cult. And for one month, they would stay there with him in that house. And I don't know what all he did with them there or taught with them there, but we know that when they came out of that house, they came speaking a foreign language. Now, this sounds strange to you, but I'm just telling you the way it was. They come out speaking another language. The language was not the language of the Goragi people. In fact, our anthropologists went in there. They studied this language. They assure us that it is a real language, that, you know, it has grammar and tense and so on. But only women who had been with this guy learned this language. And for the, just in one month, they'd come out and they'd be talking this language. It was called the Fedoet language. And they could only talk this language for about four or five months. It was really strange. They'd go everywhere, they'd just talk in this language. Men could not understand, children could not understand, but they were locked into this language, this, this language that they had been given that nobody else knew. After five months, they were quote-unquote released. That is, they, they, they could now speak their own language and speak to us or speak to any other person. It was, it was an evil, it was an occult thing. It really was. And the way this thing manifested itself was is whenever this particular cult leader would come through our area, and when we saw him quite often, he wore a leopard uh, skin over his back, he had an ostrich feather off his head, so he, you know, he was a very obvious kind of guy. Whenever this guy came by, these women would all start jump, 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 and they start jabbering in this Fedoan language. And all these women would go off with him into the bush, and we don't know what they did out there, but when they came out, they'd all be carrying some kind of a branch. Now, if it was a eucalyptus branch or some other branch, don't worry. But if it was thorns, that meant they were on the warpath. And they could go out to anybody's home in that whole area there and totally destroy it. I mean, rip it apart, burn the place down, destroy all the furniture, and not one person would touch them because they said, this is the spirit of the feared Fedouin. And they were terrified of this. Well, what do you do in a situation like that? Where do you go? Where do you start? Well, I want to tell you what we did. We preached the gospel, Christ, for a world in crisis for these people. And as we preached the gospel, a few of these women began to accept Christ, these women who were under the influence of this powerful Fedowit spirit. The amazing thing was, is when these women accepted Christ, they were very often delivered from this very great power. Now, sometimes we had to deal with them individually, but most times this, just, this power just let them let go. And so when this guy came by and he had, you know, this leathered skin on his back and this feather on his head, you know, he'd come by and all these other women, jib, 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 you know, but, but these, these women who knew Christ, they were, faces were shining and glowing and they were not moved at all by this power. And all the people said, what kind of power is this? What kind of power? And of course, then we were able to tell them that it's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the Lord Jesus. And it was an amazing thing. Let me just fast forward here. My wife and I have just come back from there, from that area, last uh, last July. And I want to tell you that you cannot find one shred of that kind of thing going on in the Garagi people today. Not one shred. And all the witch doctors and all the people that were in there all say the Christians have driven away the power of evil from our area. Every one of them. And it's just an amazing thing that God has done. Just amazing. 
just absolutely amazing. But don't let me get ahead of my story. Don't let me get ahead of my story. Uh, one day, one morning, uh, it was about, uh, about maybe 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. It's about the time we were waking up. It was raining. Um, we were living in a grass hut. <laughs> the rain was, was coming through the roof because the grass didn't keep it out very well. We had a, we had a plastic sheet and we pull it over ourselves to, you know, we hear the bang, bang, bang of those, of the blotches of rain coming, rain coming down on us. And, and, and we were sleeping under there. And I reached out from under the covers and I turned on my radio. And we heard this most incredible new sound on the radio that you never heard in the mornings, Ethiopian radio. It was a sound of marching bands and military, you know, boom, 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 boom kind of music. And I listened carefully, and it told the story of how now in Addis Ababa, the capital of the country, the emperor, Haile Selassie, had been killed that night, actually. We didn't know that, but they just said there was a revolution in the country. That night, 56 of the senators of the country had been shot in cold blood, and now there was a now there was a ruling junta that was ruling the country, and they were all communists. And brother, when that happens, you know, just kind of a a shock goes through you. I mean, what if that happened in the United States? The president's killed, fifty six senators are killed, and we are now a communist state. And you know, the first thing that you think about when something like that happens is, let me out of here. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm getting out of here fast. Because we knew all about communism. I mean, at that time, this is back in the 70s, and this was the days of Cuba, Romania, uh, you know, Russia, all this stuff. We knew about it. I'd, I'd read all these stories. I'd read all these books just like you had. And I knew about, you know, what communism does in the country. And, and we, we were thinking, boy, we, we gotta get out of here. But you know, at the same time, we were studying the, the Gospel of John. And if you remember in John, it talks in John 10 about the good shepherd and it talks about the hireling, you know, the one who's just hired to keep the sheep. It talks about that. And what it says about the hireling, it says when the wolf comes, the hireling runs away because the sheep don't belong to him. And when I read that, I thought, you know, for us to run away now, to leave these few little Christians that have come to know the Lord would be a disaster. What would happen if we, if we fled, if we ran away right now? What would happen to these Christians? I said, no. Our shepherd was a good shepherd. I need to be a good shepherd to these people. And so my wife and I, and by then we had three little children, we made a decision that we would stay there right at that place until either they killed us or God removed us. One of the two. We were not going to run away. Now, I don't advise that for everybody. I know some people are led to, led to leave their places when there's danger. And Paul did. Remember when he was in Damascus and he went down in a basket? So I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying what God led us to do at that moment in that hour was he just said, you stay right here. Well, now that we made the decision to stay, <laughs> now what are we going to do? Well, what do you do? You know, <laughs> And I thought about the Lord Jesus. And I thought, well, you know, Lord, you only had three years in which to minister. But during those three years, what did you do? What action did you take? What was your ministry during those three years? And of course, you know what it was. And that was he made disciples. And that's that's precisely what we are told to do as we go out into all the world. Wherever you go in the world, says the Lord, make disciples. Make disciples as you go, wherever you go in the world, make disciples. And I thought, well, how do you make disciples? You know, <laughs> how do you, how do you get people to become disciples? <laughs> and again, as I was reading through the book of John, I came to John chapter 17. 
And in John 17, in that prayer of the Lord to his Father, he prays over and over again for the disciples. But every time he speaks of the disciples, he calls them by a strange name. I don't know if you ever noticed this. But three times in John 17, he talks about the men that you have given me. The men you have given me. The men you have given me. And I thought about that. So God the Father gave these disciples to Jesus. That's what happened. And I thought and I began to pray, well, Lord, if, if the Father gave you disciples, why can't the Lord give me disciples? And I looked around the countryside there and there were six, there were six spots where the gospel had sort of gone in. There were a few believers in about six spots. And I prayed and I asked the Lord, Lord, why, why don't you give me six people, six people that I can take and as long as we have here until we either die or they throw us out, until one of those things happens, I will take those six people and I will train them in discipleship and I will train them in your way. So I went to these six areas and I simply told the people, I said, now look, I'm going to be in my house on Thursday and they don't have watches. So I said, when the sun reaches here, you know, that means noon, if you feel that God is calling you to be a disciple of his, would you please come? And we will start a discipleship class and we'll start a time of discipleship with you. Now, of course, they didn't know what disciples meant, and I didn't really know exactly what it meant either. We were going to find out. So on that day, I'll never forget, I was sitting in my hut, and uh, about 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, three guys showed up. And these are exactly the guys I would have expected. There was the first believer, and there were a couple other guys that came with them, and they were the guys that I would have expected. They parked their horses outside, took off the saddles and so on, and stayed there. And there we sat in this in this room. And the clock kept ticking, and I'm thinking, six, Lord, six, you got three, I want six, three more, right? And I'm sitting there in this chair, and I'm looking out the front door of this hut. It's kind of a, it was made out of cedar, and I looked out the front door, and way across the plains, I could see two men walking toward us. I had no idea who these men were. I'd never seen them before in my life. I didn't know who they were. And they walked right up to our house, asked if they could come in, of course, they sat down. I said, why have you come? They said, we hear that you teach people about God. I said, really? Do you know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you accepted him as his Savior? They said, no, we don't know anything about that. All we know is that you teach people about God. Well, I was just about to throw them out, <laughs> you know, when I began to think. Now, you think for a moment, too. What about the first time Peter and Andrew met Jesus? Were they Christians? Hmm, probably not. They probably didn't know. And yet the Lord had already known what he was going to do because you read in John chapter 2, after the wedding feast at, uh, at Canaan, you said, and then they believed in him. So there was this time before they believed that they were even walking with Jesus and talking with him. So I, I thought about that. I said, well, yeah, okay, I, I guess that'll, that'll work. So, you know, now, now there were five people there, right? But there was still one more missing. Well, it was almost noon and uh, I was sitting there and uh, thinking about, you know, who else is the Lord going to bring? Lord, am I really going to get six? I asked for six. Am I going to get six? When I heard somebody outside our little hut, it was kind of a muffled cough <laughs> outside. And that's a polite way of saying I'm here, you know, would somebody please uh, talk to me? And I came outside and I looked around the corner and here was a binish, a lady who probably at that time was 22 or 23 years old. She'd had polio. Her back was, you know, wrenched one shoulder up kind of high like this and uh, big brown eyes, and uh, she looked at me and she said, Sir, I, I, I want to be a, a disciple. 
And I said, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, this, this, you see, my idea wasn't for women to join us. My idea was that we would be men. And uh, my idea was is that we would go trekking together and we would go out in evangelism together and I would take us all kinds of places and, uh, you know, we would do this together and, and I wasn't really thinking about a woman. And then I thought I'd have her. I said, can, can you read? And I, and I gave her my Bible and she stuttered over. I think she'd had about grade one or two grade education and barely make it. And, I, and then I finally told her, I said, look, I, I know your heart's good and I know you want to be a disciple of Jesus, but, you know, this just really isn't going to work. And then she looked up at me with those big, beautiful brown eyes and she said to me, please, whoa, what do you do with this, you know? And I thought, well, I can't lose, you know, I can't lose. So I said, okay, come on in. And I, she sat down and boy, did the Holy Spirit convict me. Said, I sent you six and you just about turned three of them away, you know. But these were the people that God gave us. And so for a year, I discipled these people. Now, I believe with all my heart that you can teach the Word of God, and people learn a lot by teaching. But I believe that when you disciple people, you teach them best by showing. Not just by teaching, not just cognitive, but actually taking people with you and letting them do what you do. That's what Jesus did. He took these men so that they could be with him. And they took these disciples and they followed him and they went with him. So these people, they came with me, the six of them, the Goragi six, and they went with me wherever I went. They would go and when I preached, they heard me preach. When we went to a funeral and we'd sit out under a tree and we'd talk about what happens to people after they died. When we saw people who was possessed of evil spirit and we were able by God's grace to deal with that, we showed them how. This is why we deal with the powers of the occult. This is what we do. And then when, as soon as I could, I would let them do the preaching and let them do the whatever it was and, and the, the acts around us. And so these men and women began to learn. I would take them with me to conferences in other parts of Ethiopia so they could meet other Christians. And uh, we, had, we had a lot of fun. I remember taking a couple of guys on an airplane one time and they'd never been in an airplane. And you know, usually when you ride an airplane, you look out the window, you know what? They're they looking straight down at the floor the whole flight. They just, boom, you know, they were scared to death. <laughs> but, but it was all new for them. But they were learning and God was teaching them. And one day, as things began to intensify and as the communist pressure got closer and closer toward us, one day I took them up to a big high mountain that was not far from where we live, and you could see the whole country. And we stood there on that mountain, and I told them, I said, I said, you know, very soon they're either going to kill us or they're going to ask us to leave this part of the country. But I want to tell you that there's a Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is given to you just like He's given to me. And if you go and preach the same gospel that I preach, the gospel will also have power with people through you. God's power is in you just as it is in me. And I remember that day turning them to the north and the south and the east and the west and said, these people, I'm, I'm praying that you will be responsible to take the gospel to these people. Well, one morning, actually I was away, it was about 6 o'clock in the morning. 25 soldiers, communist soldiers, surrounded our house. My wife was there with our little children. They came into the house. They told my wife they wanted to look for guns, look for whatever it was. 
And so she said, fine, you can look for anything. We didn't have any guns or anything in the house. So they went through, and everything they saw there, like something that was valuable, they see the table, they write P.O.P. on them, and property of the people, property of the people. And they went through our house, and basically they gutted our house and took everything that we had. I came back, they let my wife go, they took me as a prisoner. And I thought that would probably be the end of me, and I think my wife probably did too. She went off up to Addis Ababa, it was about 250 kilometers away, and I was with them down there in this place. And they put me in this little room with bars on the windows, and they put soldiers there at the front of the front there with me. But the amazing thing is, they let my friends come and bring me food. Ha! <laughs> well, that was pretty interesting because I had a little wee New Testament that I kept hidden away in my pocket. And when my friends came to give me food, we had a little Bible school going in that place. And you know, you read Paul. He says, "Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ." You don't know what that's like until you're the prisoner and you're sitting in prison and the guy standing at the court at the door with a machine gun and you know you don't know whether he's going to kill you or whether you're going to live or what's going to happen. But anyway, we tried. We just poured our life, and this is discipleship: just pouring your life into somebody, telling them, "Guys, look, I'm not going to be here. You've got to be talking to this Jesus. You've got to be doing the evangelism. You guys have to be doing this. It's not me. The power of God is in you the same way as the power of God is in me." And you know, it was really very, very interesting. After about 10, 10 days or so, the Canadian government came and I was released and went out. And these people, these, these, uh, these six people were left there with the gospel. It was eight years before I was able to get back into that area. But after eight years, even though it was under communist rule, I went back to Ethiopia and I took a vehicle up into their area, parked it in the woods so nobody would see it, and I hiked across through the mountains to a house where I knew I would find some of them. When I got to the house, it was really quite amazing because when I got there, I found three of these guys sitting right there. And it was just a shock. It was just like, you know, the Lord Jesus says, I will come quickly. But when I knocked on the door that night, about 9.30 at night, it was totally black, and they saw me. It was incredible. And I said to them, what's happened? Do you have any believers here? Are there any churches? Oh, no, sir. They said, all our churches are closed. Every one of them are closed. I said, well, do you have any meetings? Oh, yeah. We meet in houses. Okay. Well, how many houses do you meet in? They thought for a while. They said, oh, about, about 54. I said, really? Well, well, how many people meet in a house? Well, they say in this one there's 135. In that one there's 140. And I began counting up. And I figured there must have been six or 7,000 people that had come to Christ during those years we were away. I said, how did this all happen? They said, well, you told us that we were supposed to preach, didn't you? I said, yeah. Well, they said, that, that's what we did. We went out and we preached the gospel. And people began to be... And I said to them, oh, remember that lady, Abinish? Where is she? Well, sir, she can't come. Well, I'd really like to see her. Please let her come. We're sorry, sir, she can't come. Well, why can't she come? Well, you see, sir, there, 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 there's a, a meeting over in a valley of women, and she's at the women's meeting. Well, how many women are meeting over there? Oh, there's about 2,000 there at the meeting. Well, well, please, go and call her. I'd send her for her. Oh, no, sir, you don't understand. She is the one that gathers all the women in our area, and she's the one who teaches all the women. And here was this disciple that I had just about turned away, and here God was using her in a powerful way. Well, friends, listen, I don't have enough time to finish this story, but let me just tell you something. Three years ago, that same group of people invited us back. After 35 years, they invited us back. And when we went back to Guragi three years ago, we found, listen to me, 100,000 believers. 
And we found 275 churches. And we started a Bible school in the last three years. We've just come back from being able to train 47 men and women who are now ministering, sharing the gospel. They're pastors, teachers, missionaries, evangelists. And this June, by God's grace, Joanna and I are going to go back to Ethiopia and I get to preach the graduation sermon for these 47 people who are now going out into ministry to serve the whole. And let me tell you, eye has not seen and ear has not heard and it hasn't entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. You align yourself with the purposes of God and God will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the power of the gospel for a world in crisis. Thank you, Lord, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God through faith unto salvation. And I pray, Lord, that this church will continue singing out its people into all the world as they have been, and that you will continue to bless them. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. God bless you. A couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at the Lord's Prayer and talking about what the kingdom of God was, if I recall, I didn't write this down today, but the kingdom of God is, and Pastor, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is the rule of Christ in the hearts of men and women. And uh, we just saw, heard, I guess you could say, a wonderful story about the kingdom of God spreading in Ethiopia where the rule of Christ entered the hearts of thousands of people as a result of people preaching the gospel. Um, we're going to sing that song again, Let Your Kingdom Come, Would You Stand, and think about how that could happen in your life, in your experience. Amen. Hey.
Father, as we go, I pray that you would keep in our minds the stories that we've just heard, keep in our minds the greatness of our own forgiveness, the mercy you've shown to us, and allow that to motivate us to seek to spread the gospel to those that are near and those that are far so that your kingdom will spread, your rule in the hearts of people will be increased and people will become worshipers of you. We pray it in our Savior's name. Amen.